Welcome to the Boulder Bassoon Quartet Podcast. I'm Ethan. I'm Kent. I'm Brian. I'm still Michael. He is. It's true. Yep. Yeah. It never changes. A lot of people have been asking us about the International Double Re Society Conference and what that is and what's it all about um, because it sounds like a shady international organization having its meetings across the globe. So, of course, it's going to pique some interest. The... Any guys know when the international conference started? Mm, I think the International Double Read Society started either in the late 60s or the early 70s. And do you know when the first conference was? No. It was the early 70s. Hmm. And they, they kept it going every year. And it's, they, they've held it in many prestigious uh, places across the globe. Most recently, New York City. Some other world centers include Graz, Austria, and... Melbourne, um, Provo, <laughs> Provo, Utah is the top list. Norman, Norman, Oklahoma. But no, really, there were some really good uh, international places. So the first meeting of the International Double Read Society was in 1971 in Chicago. And the next year is at the University of Michigan, and then South Dakota. Florida, Illinois, and so on. The first one in a technically international location was Toronto in 1976. And then University of Edinburgh in Scotland in 1980. And then back to America, 1985, Boulder, Colorado. Oh, the year before that was in Austria. Um, 1985 was hosted by Robert Olson, who was the bassoon professor at CU. And he, he told me a couple of years ago that it was actually such a big success the university made some money off of it. And he used that money to create Colorado Mahlerfest. Oh. And this will be his last year as the conductor of Colorado Mahlerfest. So how about that? 30 years? 30 years. Yeah. Uh, two years later, it was hosted by none other than Dr. Ishikawa at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Then they went to the UK in 1989, the Netherlands in 95, 1998, Tempe, Arizona. Were you there for that? I was there for that. I had just graduated, and they basically drafted me to help out at that point. Uh-huh. But that meant I also get to, I got to perform a couple pieces with them. That was the first time I played the Stravinsky Octet was at the 98 oh, wow. Society. Yeah. That's not something I'd want to play in front of that crowd. No. But <laughs> nevertheless, it worked out fine. It's like a magician is known for not wanting to perform in front of other magicians. Right. <laughs> the idea of performing in front of other double replayers is fairly terrifying, uh-huh. especially something well known yeah. like the Stravinsky Octet. Um, other highlights include Banff in 2002. That would be pretty cool. I wish I was involved in IDRS at that point. It'd be pretty neat. 2003, Greensboro, North Carolina was the first one I attended. Yeah. Where was that at? Was that... Greensboro, North Carolina? Yeah, like what, what? Oh, it's the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. It's where Michael Burns works. That's right. Yamaha performing artist. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> On bassoon? Yeah. Has anybody played a Yamaha bassoon? I played one at this conference this okay. summer. I played two of them, or maybe three, actually. What'd you think? I thought the same thing I thought with all the bassoons that I tried, which uh-huh. was, there's so much noise in here, I can't get any sense whatsoever <laughs> of what this thing sounds like. 
Um, at this point, I played the Yamaha. I played on a couple of foxes. Oh. I played on a wolf. Oh, okay. um, and there might have been one or two others. And, you know, they all seem like bassoons. Um, I just wish that I was in a different kind of a space. Plus, I was playing on reeds that were, of course, made for Colorado altitude, not sea level. Um, that's one of the big appeals of, the, uh, of these conferences is that all these different vendors show up with all their wares and they just fill up this enormous conference room area full of stuff that you can try out and sell and buy and all sorts of great stuff is going on. Um, so people bring all their different types of instruments, all their different gear, gadgets, and you can jewel over all this stuff and tell yourself, I don't really need right. another knife. <laughs> I don't really need this gadget, this gimmick. And then you get it. 2004, the conference was in Australia. And let's see, 2007, Ithaca College, Ithaca, New York. That was the first one, I think, that I went to. I came back as an Ithaca alum, worked as a volunteer, and I was really happy with it. I remember when I was a student, I think when I was a senior, I played a recital, and my teacher seemed kind of distracted because she was, in fact, that weekend hosting the folks from IDRS who were checking out Ithaca to see whether or not they wanted to use Ithaca as a site. And fortunately, I wasn't very aware of the whole IDRS culture because I'm sure they were two of the very higher-up people. And they came to my recital. Oh. And they listened to me play the Five Sacred Trees and whatever else. And I wasn't paying any attention to them, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And while I was a student there, Dr. Goodhue asked me, like, who would you like to see at a conference? Who would you want to perform? And I gave her a pretty long list, and she actually followed through. And so I really enjoyed the conference because it was basically all the people on my list performing. <laughs> and I really enjoyed all their performances. The one person who was on the list who couldn't make it was Judy LeClaire, and she has since started to go to conferences, and um, you know she's treated like a rock star, of course, because she is a rock she's star. A rock star. <laughs> this episode of the Boulder Bassoon Quartet podcast is brought to you by Forest's Music. Just about everything you could possibly need to play a double reed instrument is available at forestsmusic.com, including from the opposite shore. The first album by the Boulder Bassoon Quartet, forestsmusic.com. You were at the, Mike, you were at the IDRS conference in Ithaca. Yeah, I was, actually I was um, uh, video recording some of the events and concerts um, as part of the IDRS online that Dr. Ishikawa um, heads up. Did you like Ithaca? Yeah, I did very much. Um, some really outstanding performances that year. Um, I, in the capacity that I was, you know, sort of assigned to certain events and certain master classes uh, in order to, to video record them for posterity, uh, I didn't have quite as much free reign to, um, you know, to choose what I wanted to go see. And so in some ways that was a bummer, but there was so much really outstanding stuff that can't it wasn't like I was hurting, and I can't complain at all. It was it was a really good conference. That's also the conference where I got my um, 601 that I'm playing on right now. Oh. That was the same year that um, Mike Sweeney played Mozetich. Yeah, that's right. That was the big final concert at Cornell. Um, Michael Sweeney, <laughs> that must have been a hellish week for him, because I remember Toronto Symphony played 
Rite of Spring a couple of times. So he played Rite of Spring, then he immediately got in the car, drove to Ithaca, gave a presentation about the Mozart Concerto, and the very next day performed the Mozartish Concerto in the Big Gala concert. And did you go to his presentation of the, the Concerto, the Mozart Concerto? His tone was so bright, it was, it was almost too much. And it sounded like a very flexible sort of a thing where you could jump, like slur from the highest note to the lowest in one you know, thing very easily on that read. And it was so bright and intense, it was almost unpleasant. And then the very next day he played the Mozartish Concerto and he had this really gorgeous, mellow tone. And we asked him and it turned out it was the exact same read, the exact same setup. And so that was a big learning thing, like up close and maybe it's, it's too much and overpowering and maybe even ugly, but in a bigger hall, it blooms into that gorgeous thing. That presentation, is that the same kind of information he used for the recording he did of the Mozart? Yeah, the presentation focused on the third movement and how it's a minuet. So we taught everybody how to dance a minuet and how knowing how to dance it makes you play the third movement differently. Interesting. So for example, it's written in three, but you have to actually think about it in six. So you have to couple two bars together and there's a downbeat there's an emphasis on beat one and either two or three, and another emphasis on beat four and either five or six. And so figuring out how the dance moves works makes you put an emphasis on different notes. And it makes it, in my opinion, much more fun to play um, because it makes you realize that Mozart was having some fun with the audience. Because the minuet was something that everybody knew how to dance. Everybody, it was just, it was a social thing. Everybody would get together and everybody knew how to dance the minuet. So if you're playing a minuet, internally everybody's dancing it in their heads. But Mozart would pull the rug out from other people and put emphasis where it's not supposed to be. Or instead of, you know, you set up one bar and then you expect the second bar to be its coupling, but he would insert something else and then put the coupling a couple bars later. And so it's a humorous kind of a, a jab. So that was his whole presentation. And he's supposed to publish a book or something about it. I hope he does, because it's absolutely brilliant stuff that, for me, made playing that concerto much more fun, much more enjoyable. So we haven't actually talked about the structure of these things. The conference itself is usually five days. And during the day, uh, from eight until about four, I think, there's a huge variety of recitals, masterclasses, presentations, lectures, workshops, uh, all sorts of stuff going on. And usually the host has to find, oh, I don't know, five, six different yeah. sizable rooms that can be used for all these different events. And all those rooms tend to be used all the time, yeah. all day long. So if you're attending the conference, you have to choose between five different simultaneously happening events. Uh, so do you want to go see an oboe masterclass? No. Do you want to go see bassoon recital? Sure. Do you want to go see a workshop on how to make reads? Depends who's given the, the thing. Um, and then at night, there's a big gala concert. Um, each night, I think, what, three of the nights usually involve an orchestra that accompanies soloists. And then there's at least one night that has chamber music. And then there's usually another night that's something unusual. So like this year in New York, the West Point band accompanied some soloists and that band really, they were amazing. They really stole the show. Oh yeah. They were top notch. 
Um, and then there's a, usually a variety of extra activities. So for example, this summer in New York, um, there was an underground jazz session with Paul Hansen, Michael Rabinowitz, and Alex Silverio. And they played with a, a backup band and, you know, it was tremendous. At Ithaca, there was a wine tasting event, a couple of other special events here and there. I remember at Provo, there was a museum, something or another happening at Saint uh, at uh, Salt Lake City, hmm. some sort of field trip, basically. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, 2007 was at Ithaca, 2008 was at Provo, 2011 it was in Arizona State. That's an important one for us. That's a big one. Yeah. That's the yeah. most important IDRS conference ever. <laughs> Boulder Bassoon Quartet performed um, a piece written by an Arizona State alum, Mr. Thomas Ken Hurd. That would be me. Yay! <laughs> and then 2014, New York University, New York City. And I loved it. You guys didn't go. Your loss. It was right. It, was, <laughs> it feels like my loss. Yeah. It finally dawned on me that the location has a great deal of influence on the quality of the performances. So, but New York City, everybody wants to go to New York City. So we had amazing performances, not only from a bunch of amazing New York players like Judy LeClaire, mm -hmm. but also some international superstars like the principal logo player of the Paris Opera. Mm -hmm. And I accidentally. <laughs> happened to be at his location for his recital. Mm -hmm. And so I, I heard his last piece and it was some, some crazy modern piece, but wow, was it impressive. Mm -hmm. And he was just absolutely stunning and he stole the show. And then the other guy who stole the show was, um, he played in the big gala concert and he played, I think the Francais concerto on a French bassoon. And it's always interesting to hear the French bassoons. Yeah, usually I don't care for it. Yeah. He had a, a tone that was closer, I think, to the German bassoon than what a French bassoon usually sounds like. Um, but it was his artistry and his style uh, um, that really was just amazing. And so fitting for, of course, a French piece. The first night, the gala concert was just enormous. I think it was six concertos, three oboe, three bassoon. And it was all like, you know, big, heavy standards, giants of the rep. Um, the person we were with said like, oh, at the end of the concert, she's like, I feel like I just ate three courses of meat and potatoes, you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good description. Um, and of course, coming in 2015, it's going to be in Tokyo. The first time the international conference will be held in Asia and it will be in Tokyo. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it a lot. So over the, the conferences that you guys have attended, has there been any standouts, workshops or masterclasses or educational presentations? It was that same conference. There was, oh, I wish I remember the guy. It was an oboist who was giving a masterclass. And it was a, it was a really great... Uh, he was very musical and uh, double read techniques that, that I thought really worked on the bassoon as well. Do you remember who that was? I wish I did. Was it a British guy? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think I remember. And, and he was doing like, he called it uh, lighthouses. And he would he would articulate, mm. so it was almost nothing. Like, oh. Yeah, the, the tone would just appear out of nothing. Yeah. And it was like a really uh, useful thing to, yeah. you know, to like practice your instrument at its, at its extreme 
of dynamics and still be able to hit it consistently. Oh, so it was called the lighthouse because, you know, like the beam of the lighthouse comes yeah. around in a circle. Uh-huh. And so the way that the beam intensifies as it's pointing at you, that's mm-hmm. what you do with your sound. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. But that was one of the cool things he did. He took a couple, uh, you know, uh, good-natured jabs at uh, spassoon cousins. Uh, I don't know. I thought that was a really entertaining one. A lot of useful information came out of that one. Just musical in general. I remember at Ithaca, one of the performances that took me off guard was uh, David Sog, who plays in Pittsburgh. And he played Andy Warhol Says, and it was the first time I heard that piece, which I subsequently bought, of course, because it's great. Um, but the tone that he had, the sound, Cody and I were both like, that's exactly how I want to sound it. I mean, his, his instrument seemed to be vibrating so much and so effortlessly, like the keys are just going to fall right off. It was absolutely amazing. I never fall apart because I never fall together. <laughs>